Welcome to Discover Energy World. We're here. Um, I've got the amazing, fantabulous uh, Victor Geronimo, who is my, my friend. And really, it's high time that he came on Discover Energy World. I, but the interesting thing is I don't know Victor's story. I know that he's got one. I've heard like through the grapevines, like Victor said he had this experience. I'm like, what? I'm like, cool. Okay, so I only know like little snippets. But Victor, welcome to uh, the talk. The idea is uh, people don't know who you are. I know who you are. So would you like to just, uh, apart from the, what you belong to a club of the jolly fine fellows, um, <laughs> what, what, how, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Okay. So thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure to spend some time and being with you. Well, first of all, let me start by saying, uh, you say that you don't know who I am. I would like to uh, stay on those lines. I actually don't know who I am. I'm <laughs> on the search for it. I, yeah. I, know, I know what my name is, but I'm working on truly getting to the core of, you know, what and who am I, you know, other than the name, other than the gender, other than the ethnicity, profession, career, whatever. If we subtract all of that, that is more what I do. Mm -hmm. I truly don't know who I am, but I'm on, on, the, on the way. <laughs> In terms of my work, uh, my first steps, my first love is massage therapy. So hey. that's, how I, that's how I started. I went to college in California. Uh, it's called Healing Arts College for massage therapy. And after being in practice for a few years, you know, I worked at offices with chiropractors, with osteopaths, you know, so on and so forth. Um, after being in a few years in clinical practice, uh, someone introduced me to Chinese medicine, to acupuncture. And this opened up a whole other door, incredible door, because of the nature of how TCM is holistic, right? Rather than focusing on the symptom. And so that was a great discovery. And, um, you know, for, for, uh, for a while, I actually contemplated going to school in California for, for TCM. Mm. And I went, I, I went as far as went to the top schools that were back then in California, which was Emperor's College, Yosan University, uh, Samra University. Uh, I went and I sat in in the classes like a week on each of them. Somehow something in me told me not to do it. It was not yet the time and it was not the place, the most important thing. So I trusted that gut feeling not to do it, but I continue reading and studying on my own, you know, disseminating information about books, about TCM, the principles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then along that path, Someone uh, introduced me to Dr. Uple John Upledger, which right. basically he, you know, is a pioneer himself because it's because of him that now we know 
craniosacral therapy, right? Which is really cranial osteopathy. But because of the dynamics of the American Cranial Academy and, you know, you need to be a physician in the U.S. in order for you to go to an osteopath. So the the establishment was against that. And he being the pioneer that he was, he said, well, I'm going to teach anyways to massage therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, nurses. Mm -hmm. And he decided to do so and just changed the title. And instead of cranial osteopathy, he called it craniosacral therapy. So someone introduced me to his work and that definitely blew me away as well. And so I started a, you know, taking courses with all pleasure and, you know, uh, other institutions, you know, uh, Barral and all of that back in the late nineties in California, et cetera. So that led me to open up the door of really start to learn more about osteopathy. So that led me to met a great friend, mentor, Dr. Steve Sanet, which is an American osteopath that has a college of osteopathy in Canada. And uh, he brought his program to Hong Kong and I was lucky, applied for it, got into it. And I started studying under him. And so that explored even more other facets of osteopathy rather than just cranial osteopathy. And then from there, um, someone introduced me to Hong Kong University that have a program. It's like a postgraduate program and acupuncture, clinical acupuncture. And I applied for the course and I met this wonderful professor Ching, A.P. Ching, Professor A.P. Ching, who was, it's an incredible clinician. She studied TCM in uh, Shanghai University, and she lived in Germany for 10 years, and she had a wealth, incredible wealth of knowledge, and she was very, very generous, and I was very, very lucky, because when I took that program, it's a two-year program through Hong Kong U, uh, I think there were 20, 26 people in the class, and out of those 26 only two of us were not physicians. The rest were physicians. So in the class, we had anesthesiologists, we had um, orthopedic physicians, we had oncologists, we had gynecologists, we even had a couple of vets. Um, We also had a brain surgeon. I mean, it was incredible because their questions were raising the bar of, you know, the door to end for us to enter through through TCM and Professor Ching very generous and very graciously never put a limit of what we could ask or what we could explore so when I took that program I realized that even though it was only a two-year program really in those two years I feel and I believe that I learned way more that I could have learned back in the U.S. if I studied it for four no. years because in the U.S., unfortunately, because of the regulations of each state and because of the establishment, there are a lot of things that you cannot do in California that you can learn on this side of the world with TCM. Like in some states, you cannot do any bleeding. And the, the gamma of herbs in the U.S., some of the herbs are not allowed to, to be used and utilized, imported, 
etc., etc., etc. Along that way, I've also met the one and only incredible Sifu Kamyuen. He's really the one that, uh, you know, to put it chronologically in perspective, that the massage therapy was on the mid 90s, 95, 96. Um, then around the end of 97, beginning of 98, that's what I got introduced to Dr. Oblager. And then, um, you know, I came to Hong Kong in 2001. And I also got introduced to the work of uh, Sharon Well Selfish, IMT, Integrative Manual Therapy which you also took some, some courses, I believe. That was around 2003. No, you didn't? Oh, okay. So that was around 2003. And then in 2004, I met uh, Jean Green, which was, it's an incredible teacher, craniosacral. He actually taught at the Obliger Institute for about 12 years. His brother is also a, a very well-known osteopath, Tom Green. And... Uh, that was around 2004. And then I studied more cranial with uh, Jim Green, which had been personally tutored by John Opledger for 12 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then in 2006, that's when I met uh, Sifu Kam Yuen. And that really changed, it rocked my world because uh, Sifu Kam Yuen, those who are not familiar with, highly recommend you check him out, Dr. Kam Yuen, uh, Yuen Method. Uh, it's the technology that he put together. And he really, Sifu Kam Yuen, changed my life and my world in many ways. That, you know, when you study any type of massage therapy or acupuncture or, you know, cranial osteopathy, whatever, in school, you're always taught that, you know, it takes time to, a word that I don't like to use a lot, heal. It takes time to, to heal. And Sifu Kam Yuen really taught me, not just by words, but by facts, that that is not so, right? That well, things can be, yeah. that, that things can be shift in a matter of a, a few seconds, you know? And for that matter, without the necessity of touch, without the necessity of contact, without the necessity of even the person being in front of you or talking a lot. This is the UN method. So that was around 2006 when I met Sifu Kam Yuen. And then uh, towards 2009, that's where uh, I met uh, Professor Ching for the acupuncture program. And in 2011, end of 2010, that's when I met Dr. Steve Sanet, the American osteopath that has a yeah, you've, been, you've been like uh, you've been like everywhere, really. I mean, you've done so much, um, and uh, and I appreciate that. I appreciate like there's just this um, there's no limits to what you know what we can learn and, and little little areas of nuance. That's Correct. Cool. So those are those are the people that have uh, influenced me in terms of you know my line of work nowadays, which. It really boils down to UN method, uh, manual therapy in the realms of osteopathy and uh, acupuncture. You know? I, I, I want to bring you back to your story or your stories. 
Um, and it might take longer than an episode if you have time. Um, so we're, we're trying to keep things in around 40, 45 minutes, but anyway, it doesn't matter. You, there must have been a moment when you realized, um, in fact, we talked about it last time, where you realized like the world is not, not exactly what most people sell us. Yeah, or tell us, or sell us. Yeah. They say the world is, you know, material and there's nothing psychic and, you know, your, your boundaries are, are the skin suit that you're wearing and, and that's it. And you talked last time about a fascinating experience when you were a kid. And you said, like, I mean, you said it was at an age that I'm saying, well, kind of interesting you even remember that, Victor. Correct. So I, I, I hope your, your audience are open-minded enough <laughs> because the, the story that I'm going to convey might seem farcical or might seem far-fetched. You, you, oh, don't you haven't need heard to... the other episodes. The, the other <laughs> people I've interviewed, they're all uh, as, at least as crazy as me. And I think... <laughs> I think you're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> so, but as they say, you know, you don't need to believe it. You don't need to buy it, but it's a true story. So for me, that happened at a very, very young age. And somehow I can't explain it, but somehow I can consciously recall events and situations that happened from when I was like four years old, three years old, five years old at a very young age. And the story was like my first really solid encounter was I was around five years of age. And my mother said to me, today we're going to go meet uh, a friend and I want you to come with me. We're going to go to her house. And my mother emphatically say, you haven't met her but we're going to go to her house and, you know, we're going to have some tea and some cookies and chat. And I want you to meet my friend. I say, okay. So then I say to my mom, what is your friend's name? So, and my mom said her friend's name. And then I said, Oh, I've been to her house. Now I had never, ever met this lady. And the way I say it, you know, my mom is a very open-minded individual, which it's a blessing for me that I came through this parents, both of my parents. So my mom looked at me in a very particular way and she say, but you haven't met her. And then I say, yeah, but, but I've been to her house. So instead of she scolding me or dismissing it or insisting that I haven't met her, she looked at me quite inquisitively and she said, okay, tell me how does her house look like and I begin to describe this lady's house from the color of the door when you enter the you know uh, it was a beautiful home the marble floor the color of the sofa the carpet the they had this huge beautiful chandelier on the main door and then there was this stairs that led to the second floor very fancy house and I start to describe to my mother all of this. And my mother obviously had been to her friend's house. And she knew that, in fact, that's how the house looked. But, in fact, I have never met her. 
Now, I can't explain this phenomena. Well, I've got a curious, I've got a question for you. Because, Go for it. Um, like, if you ask me what somebody's house is like um, that I was at this morning or something, I don't think I could even describe it. And yet, when you're talking, you're moving a hand in the air and you actually, I feel like you're almost still, you can still go there in your mind. Still there. <laughs> yes, of, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's that's a, like normal memory. Normal memory is, is, uh, is quite different. Correct. Correct. So, you know, I described it and my mom realized that I wasn't BSing, you know, that it was a fact that unexplainable but i had been in the house and i could describe it to the t so that was the the first event that i recall that my mother looked at me in a way where she knew that somehow i was not lying i was telling the truth but at the same time i had never met this lady so oh. that was the first that that was the first you know thing that it was so solid but before that, you know, I would have events where in my room, I would be watching the TV, the cartoons, and the TV would go on and off by itself, or the lights would go on and off by, by themselves, or the, the door would, you know, crack open, you know, things like that. And it never, it never frightened me. You know, I can, I can sense, I can feel that something or someone or was present but it never really frightened me and you know this this these are the memories that i have when i was very 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 young four or five years old events like that so you were telling me like you've got um you've got a, a mexican and apache indigenous indian um background are, are you like medicine people or you know were they like uh... well yeah the Indigenous, if we look at indigenous, right, of any, the natives of, of any country, they very much alike, we're very in tune with nature and, you know, natural medicine, you know, herbs, plants, or, you know, things like that. So in Mexico, that is, it's like a coffee table conversation, right? It's very predominant. I mean, to, to, to this day, uh, people that don't feel well most likely go to like a bone setter or a herbalist before they go to a physician. Right. This is a this is culturally this is very normal, right? So uh, I I grew up when I was a child from a period of my infancy. It's a tradition for Mexicans that the kids spend some time with uh, grandma, you know, with grandma. So for me, I was lucky enough that I was sent to my maternal mother's uh, pueblo, because it was really a pueblo, it was not a city. It was, it's, it's a tiny pueblo, it's called Concepcion de Loro Zacatecas. And in this uh, pueblo, there were quite several that, were like this, we call it curanderos. Curanderos, that if you translate it, it means healer, mm -hmm. right? But curanderos in the sense that these are people that did not go to school or college to learn how to do this. These are people that, you know, 
from gen for generations, it's passed down and down and down. So, uh, you know, the, the, the things that I experienced through, through being in touch and in contact with this, you know, I often rather not <laughs> talk about it because most people can't relate to it. If you haven't been exposed to that culturally, uh, might seem a far, a far fetch wow. or, you know, I think I, I okay. I'm I'm gonna obviously I'm gonna respect your your opinion on that. Um, uh, for me, that was exactly the point. Uh, when I met my teacher, I was experiencing things that just didn't fit into my paradigm. But mm -hmm. I couldn't. So I, I experienced what they call cognitive dissonance. Something is true that I don't believe is true. At least mm -hmm. I'm experiencing something is true that I, I just don't believe is true, and I'm having confusion, I'm having um, anxiety, I'm having uh, doubts about, you know, perhaps even my own identity, you know, so, so it, there's a certain, um, the, the idea of the podcast is not to try to convince anybody, but certainly mm -hmm. we're having these experiences and I'm going, well, you know, how, how, how does this work? And you say, well, okay, look, at least I've had some experiences where you can, you can connect, you're, you're not crazy, just the world mm. is way bigger and way more interesting than we understand. Mm. And some people, they don't believe that. They just think the world is what, what they're told it is. Correct, correct. So my, my grandma was a very interesting human person character. So I'll share one you know, small event or things that happen, which that even though that wasn't my childhood from when I was six until I was like 11, that experience back then, I didn't know what it was. Now, fast forward in my 20s when I started to learn about uh, Chinese medicine. And then it clicked on me that, oh my God, this is what my grandma used to do. But the interesting thing is, grandma lived in a rural pueblo my grandma didn't go to school my grandma didn't know how to write or read and yeah she was a blind principal of tcm now how how do you connect the dots right uh there's a fascinating book it's called 1421 it was written by a british uh admiral who was part of the royal navy and he wrote a book. I'm regressing a little bit to tell you the story. He wrote a book that is called 1421. And his research, his specialty was reading maps and looking at maps historically by the style that they were written, you know, the, the cartographers. He could tell you which area from which period and which culture had done those maps. So he wrote this book, it's called 1421. And he explains, and all of this, he's got the scientific data and you know the papers. It's, it's not just some random guy telling you a story. It's got the science behind it. He proved that in 1421, the Chinese were the first ones to circumnavigate the entire planet. This is almost 80 years before most Euro Europeans, you know, this, this was way before Christopher Columbus, way before the European explorers, quote unquote. 
1421, the Chinese had done it. And in this book, he narrates the epics of how his name was uh, General Cheng He from, uh, uh, from Hangzhou, China. And in fact, if you go to Hangzhou and downtown Hangzhou, they have this huge, uh, you know, this huge uh, sculpture of General Cheng He. And so he was the first one that put fleets together that went all over. And in 1420, sure enough, he went to uh, back then Aslan or the Aztec Empire. And they had cultural exchanges, the Chinese with the Aztecs. And they exchanged jade because for us in Mexico, uh, jade was also very precious on the Aztecs times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for Chinese, jade is something very valuable. Mm -hmm. And they exchanged jade and porcelain and silk and all of these things. So I'm kind of sort of like imagining that this is how TCM mass has to come to Mexico. Mm -hmm. And here we are, we fast forward to many years later, my grandma was doing cupping and my grandma was doing, you know, moxa without ever studying Chinese medicine or without ever knowing that it was Chinese medicine. Right. So whenever, whenever I did not feel good as a child, I never went to the doctor. It was never like, you know, take an Advil or take a Pepto-Bismol, never. It was like, take your shirt off, you know, take your pants off, lie down. She will give you you know, basically a rudimentary osteopathic treatment, you know, manual, manual work, you know, she worked with her hands and then she would cook some herbs and then she would do cupping. And the, the cupping was very rudimentary. Back in the old days, I don't know if you remember, the, uh, it's a, a brand of cream, body cream. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce it in English. We call it Nivea. Nivea. And I, yeah, okay. They used to come in these really cool glass jars that were dark blue purplish. Yeah. So those were those jars she would use to do cupping. Oh, she would put a candle in the jar and then stick it on your back and then pop it, right? To get the to get the wind out or to get the phlegm out or whatever. So this is what my grandma would do you know she would say take your shirt off take your pants off lie down she would give you a rudimentary you know osteopathic treatment which included copying and which included uh moxa like techniques moxa like techniques with a cigar <laughs> so she would light a cigar and put it in a specific point to bring the heat and then copying and so this was my grandma mm -hmm. right this is what i grew up with and she had one very particular friend that I was very, very, very fond of. And this lady was, was basically, you know, what you would call, you know, like a, a root doctor, a witch or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And we used to often go to her house. And, I, and, and one particular event that I recall that we went to her house and while we were in her her house a lady came to see her to, to see this lady 
And uh, she say, oh, you know, I'm not feeling good. And I'm wondering if you could treat me. So we call it limpia. Limpia means cleansing. And this cleansing is used, uh, two main uh, things are used. White egg, an egg from a chicken, but not the brown. It has to be a white egg. Okay. That is one of the components. And the other component is uh, from a tree called pirul. It's a tree. And you use the branches of that tree. So the principle of this is that whatever kind of harm or sickness or illness, whether it was self-created or whether someone put a spell of you or a hex or whatever, that you rub the body with the plant first to cleanse it. And then they're saying prayers as specific prayers to a specific angel or archangel as they're passing this branch trees to the body. And then once that process is done, then they grab the egg while they're cleansing with the pirul, with the branches of the tree, the person is holding that white egg in between their hands. They hold the egg. And then the person proceeds to give the limpia, the cleansing with the tree branches while the person is reciting specific prayers to a specific uh, deity. And this, many people work with Archangel Michael. So this lady was one of the deities, the, the patrons that she used was Archangel Michael. So their specific prayers were Archangel Michael. So she's proceeding to cleanse that while the lady is holding the egg and then she grabbed the egg from her hands and then she started rubbing the egg all over her body, passing it through all over her body, continuing to, continuing to say the prayers. Now, this egg is not an egg that the lady doing the cleanse gave the other lady. This egg is an egg that people would bring from their own home. So at no point, at no point, this lady had access to that egg before that person arrived. So she's uh, passing the egg and when it's done, then the egg is cracked in a glass half filled with water. Now, when she cracked this egg, again, you need not believe me. When you crack this egg, out of the egg, out of the egg, inside of the egg, there was like a ball of hair, you know, when, you're, when you are brushing your hair and you're falling and you roll it out in a little ball, there was hair, tints or hint, hints of blood and dark liquid inside of the egg. Mm. So then she say, this is why you're not feeling good. Someone, you know, put a job on you. And then she said, uh, if you want to know more, I can show you the face of the person. You will see the face of the person. So then you will know who it is because I don't know who it is. So the lady agreed to say, yeah, I, I want to see who that is. So she proceeded to take a bottle of alcohol and make a cross on the floor with the bottle of alcohol and then light the fire. And then she had the lady walk over the cross three times. And after she walked over the cross three times, there was a face on the fire. Mm. 
I cannot explain this to you. I saw a face with my own eyes. Now, of course, I didn't know who that person was, but then she proceeded and she asked the lady, do you know who that is? And the lady said, yeah, that's my mother-in-law. Right. So events like this for me was coffee table conversation because in yeah. a pueblo, this is, this is, this happens, you know, and to this day, you know, to this day in Mexico, not just in Mexico, Cuba is filled with it. They call it Santeros, you know, from the Yoruba, from the African tradition. Mm -hmm. Puerto Rico has what they call paleros, which came from, uh, the Republic of Congo, which they call it uh, Palo, Rayadero, Kimbisa. Uh, it's all over, everywhere, you know. So for us in Latin America, to this day, you know, when people, you know, if, so, if someone likes this particular person and they're not really paying attention to them, they go to someone and say, I, I want, I like this girl, or I like this man, I want to marry them. To this day, this is a common practice. Or, you know, if you don't like someone, to this day, you can also go to someone and say, I don't like this person. I want this person to lose their job or to, I want to break their marriage or I want their business to fail. Unfortunately, it's, it's a reality. So for me, growing up in that environment, this was a coffee table conversation, you know, at least a couple of times a week. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting because um, I think some people will, will hear it and they'll go, you know, well, you know, that's scary. And, and I've had people on the podcast, uh, Sean McNamara, he's teaching psychokinesis. He's teaching people to move things with their mind. Mm. And uh, he was on the, the um, uh, there's a documentary uh, by Caroline Corey, I think it's called Superhuman. And mm. it's just, she picks somebody um, like who has no experience, and they put this like big like glass bell over uh, the thing that they're trying to move. So there's no air, it's, and it's just a bit of paper that it's mm. balanced. Mm -hmm. And she's got her hands here, and she's you know intending it to move, and uh, and it starts to move. And Caroline Corey does this whole thing where she actually does the same experiment from a distance. So it's not even, she's not in, even in the same room. And the, mm. the, the bit of paper was in a vacuum. Mm. And so when we hear that, we're not as scared. We feel like, well, it's just a bit of paper. And it's, you know, um, and it's the same with these experiments that um, Rupert Sheldrake's done with, uh, you know, the, the energy field. But, but I think, you know, it gets a bit scary when it becomes part of our folk superstition, you know, like, oh, I've got a problem and uh, I want to wipe out my competition with um, a magical spell. It's like, well, we don't really have that. Yeah. The magical Correct. spell is your, your um, I would say your, your shaman is a, is a lawyer or... Um, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, and uh, um, a private investigator, they're going to get the, the information that you want to sort of do the dirty. Um, correct, correct. And uh, yeah, it's kind of, it, I kind of feel actually even our culture is 
which is why it's not a goal for me to, to be an advocate that everybody believes in energy. It's more to support people that have a breakthrough experience. And they're going, well, like maybe I've got the feeling that there's negative energy coming from this person since a certain event. And I'm, you know, I'm freaking out about it. And, I, and everybody else is telling me I'm crazy. And, and then somebody says, well, actually, interesting this, because in some cultures, you're really not crazy. And we're not going to start a war with that person, but we should clear this out of you. You don't need to carry it at all. Um, and have you, have you actually had people that have come to you with uh, like hexes and, and curses? You've got any stories about that? I'm sure you have. Yes. I already know the answer to the question. <laughs> <laughs> stories. Yes, you know, as I say to you, for, for, for us in, in South Central and North America, this is very common. And for your audience, for those who are curious, I'm going to mention three documentaries that are fascinating that you can watch in YouTube. Mm -hmm. There was one very, 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 very famous lady, uh, Mexican, her name was Pachita. That is P-A-C-H-I-T-A. -A. Like patch, right? Like patch, P-A-C-H, and then ITA, I-T-A. Go to YouTube and put, you know, documentary on Pachita. She was a fascinating human being. And she did phenomenal things. This was a person that, you know, Again, she was not someone that went to medical school or any of, the, any of that. This was passed on in generations. And she was like, well, I'm not exaggerating when I say she was world famous because American politicians, Europeans, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles actually went to see her. She was one. There was another one. Her name was, they call it Santa Sabina. Santa means saint, but her name was really Maria Sabina, S-A-B-I-N-A. -I, I will encourage you to your audience to check it out, Maria Sabina. Send me those uh, names on WhatsApp and I'll put them in the show notes for everybody who's okay. to YouTube. Okay. That'd be great. Um, okay. Actually, what I suggest is if you're okay for another 45 minutes, we, we leave everybody on a cliffhanger about the story when somebody came to you with a curse and we get them on the next episode. So Sounds great. 45 minutes, we'll, we went, so sorry, everyone. I know I'm, I know I'm evil, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, it's your next week is you're going to listen to the amazing story from Victor. Okay, so um, okay. click uh, notifications, click like, uh, join the, subscribe to the channel, like Facebook and everything. And um, you're going to hear more from Victor in a second.